Welcome to the Lab Rats Podcast. You are now entering the maze. What's on the platter for tonight? Going into week two of carnivore. Uh, yeah, I think I'm doing a New York strip steak. And okay. I'll do some kidney with that. And then probably I have this like um, sausage kind of link type thing that okay. I'll add as well as kind of like a dessert. So I'll mix those three. I'm not mix them, but just eat them all separately. Okay. So with the, with the, um, oh, I'm blanking. With the organ meat, like the first six days or so, I was like cutting it up and like mixing it in with stuff. Cause I, I was trying to like hide the flavor of it. But recently it's been, I cook it and then just eat that first, like as quick, as quick as I can, just plain. Yeah. That way I can like start enjoying my meal. Cause like I, I hated every single meal cause every meal tasted like organs. I know. So I started just eating that first and then I can like wash it down with water and then just actually enjoy like a steak without having to worry about the organs. Yeah, that's a good call. I find that like kidneys not that bad if you like sear it up in a pan. Liver tastes like liver no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, this is going to be really gross to people. I actually just cut up the liver and sw- and s- swallowed it with water raw because <laughs> I hate that's the so taste. Gross. Okay. And it doesn't matter if you cook it. I've And I soak it for days to get all the blood out. So it doesn't taste bloody, which actually makes it better. But I'm like, let me just see if I could do this. So I did it. Didn't taste a thing. Um, but it's so how many like how many times did you have to do that to get a, your full amount? Because I try to do <laughs> two ounces of liver a day. And OK, man, uh, I mean, probably at least two 16 ounce glasses of water, probably three 16 ounce to get it down of water to get all of them down. Because <laughs> oh, I had them cut up into little pieces, probably like wow, 30, 20, 30 little pieces. Yeah. I'm not sure I'll do that again. I'll just suck it up. Yeah. I've just been doing like one ounce. I'll do one ounce at um, one ounce of organ meat at lunch, one ounce at dinner, and I'll just eat that first. And that's been working out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Kidney isn't bad. Liver, I don't like the liver. Um, kidney's fairly mild. And then I've had chicken heart. That was probably the most mild. Yeah. That's not bad. But I haven't had cow heart yet. I have that in the freezer. Same, same. I think I got a hanger steak tonight. The the farmer that I get my meat from recommended that one. I've never had it before. I don't even know what part, part of the cow. Hanger comes steak? From. What Hang, is that? I don't. I have no idea. It's like flat. Is it like the scraps that they give to the dogs? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll try that tonight. I need to get some some omega three. So I do need to get some salmon in there somewhere. Mm, yeah. Um, We'll see. People probably don't want to hear us talk about organ meats anymore. <laughs> uh, but we have the, we'll pitch it one last time, the sleep workshop. I think by the time, yeah, this will be the last episode before we actually record this sleep workshop. At the Indie Fitness Festival, we'll be putting on a workshop on uh, Saturday, September 19th. I think it's, yeah. Yep. 11.30 a.m. at Metazoa Brewing uh downtown indianapolis yes yeah, so you can sign up online i think indiefitnessfest.org yeah there's only a couple spots left actually so it's uh it's filling up quick so in our link in our bio there's two steps on how to get 
signed up, get tickets in step one, sign up for the workshop in step two. So yeah, more details, check out the link in our bio. Yeah, so check it out. I I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's dive into the episode, which is one that we've gotten a lot of requests about. So we're going to be talking about antiperspirants and deodorants and kind of looking at the ingredients of those, whether the ingredients are clean, dangerous, should you avoid them, uh, which types to use, what's the difference between antiperspirant and deodorants. So we're going to cover all of that. And we do plan to cover like other body care products or beauty products in the future. But this episode, we wanted to focus just on antiperspirants and deodorant since it's something that all of us use every single day. Hopefully. Hopefully. So let's kind of start out with a background of like sweating and why why we smell when we sweat. So sweat is obviously our body's natural cooling mechanism. But the reason our armpits like sweat more than other areas is because it's it has the, the densest level of sweat glands there. There's a lot of sweat glands in that one location. So Sweat accumulates under the arm, and then it starts to smell after a short period of time, which is actually not from the sweat itself. Sweat is mainly just uh, water and sodium, but what causes the smell is from a bacteria that is produced by our skin. So when when sweat is present on the skin, bacteria starts to break down that sweat, which results in a strong odor. So... There are two products that basically help with this, and they they help in different ways. It's antiperspirants and deodorants. Now, all deodorants are only deodorants, but antiperspirants can be either an antiperspirant and a deodorant or just an antiperspirant. Mm -hmm. So that'll make more sense here when I break down the difference between the two. Antiperspirants work simply by reducing the amount of sweat your body produces. So its purpose is to essentially stop you sweating by closing off your sweat pores. And the main ingredient that is responsible for doing this is aluminum, which is kind of the one ingredient that raises red flags when it comes to uh, antiperspirant. So Andy's going to talk in depth about aluminum and see whether that's something we should avoid or not. But aluminum is the ingredient that basically closes our sweat pores and just stops us from sweating. Something interesting that um, I found about antiperspirants is on the FDA their website, the Food and Drug Administration, which they do some, um, some like body care s- products and stuff. Well, they, yeah, they they just do some regulation over antiperspirants and deodorants. And antiperspirants are actually classified as a drug um, on their website, which is I thought was super interesting. Mm. Never knew that. Um, and deodorants are listed as a cosmetic, so pretty interesting way to distinguish the two. Um, That's how the FDA kind of breaks them down. Antiperspirants are drugs. Deodorants are cosmetics. Yeah, they really are two very different things. Yeah. And like I said before, most antiperspirants contain a deodorant as well. So not do do they only stop you from sweating, antiperspirant. That's what it literally means is stop sweating, but also contains a deodorant. So like the word deodorant says, deodorant means to deodorize. So it stops you from sweating and it stops bad odors. Deodorants, on the other hand, by themselves, um, do a completely different thing than antiperspirants. They work by making your skin more acidic 
And if we increase the acidity of our skin, it essentially kills off the bacteria that causes that bad odor that we discussed earlier. So the purpose of a deodorant is to eliminate odor rather than perspiration. So you're going to still sweat just as much using only a deodorant. Hopefully you just won't smell as bad. So those are kind of the, the main two products. I know I feel like most people kind of use them interchangeably and kind of they're right next to each other in the store. You usually don't know which one you're buying. They're kind of, they look the same, they feel the same, they smell the same, but there is a difference. And there's especially a difference in, in the ingredients and how they work. Yeah, so we want to dig into the ingredients of what's contained in antiperspirants and deodorants and specifically look at kind of the red flag ingredients, which ones that um, we potentially may want to avoid. So Andy, why don't you dive into those? I think there's like five of them we want to cover here. Yeah, so we're just going to go through five different chemicals or ingredients that you may notice in your antiperspirants or deodorants that may present health risks. That's kind of what we're going to dive into today. There are many chemicals in deodorants and body care products in general. So we're just covering a few of them. We're not going to go through every potential chemical that you could see in a deodorant. That would take a very long time. We're just going to look at the most prominent ones. Uh, the first one being aluminum. You've probably seen 0% aluminum or aluminum-free uh, deodorants on the store shelves. That's increased in popularity with the recent claimed risks of aluminum. Uh, parabens are another one, triclosan, propylene glycol. Um, those three you'll probably see more in soaps and lotions, but you may also see them in deodorants as well. And then artificial fragrances, which are in pretty much every body care product. So let's start off with aluminum. Why is it used in antiperspirants in the first place? Well, like Aaron said, they block sweat glands and basically prevent you from sweating so you don't stink. Well, the, the biggest claimed risk with antiperspirants, particularly due to the aluminum, is breast cancer. So this has been hotly debated for the past several years, and there really seems to be no clear consensus on this, but we're going to run through where the evidence stands currently. So where, where did this claim begin? Well, it began when, when scientists found this correlation between the location of breast cancer and the use of aluminum-based antiperspirants. So breast cancer occurs typically in the upper outer quadrant of the breast, which is the quadrant of the breast closest to the armpit. And cancer in that quadrant has gradually increased since the 1920s as the use of aluminum-based antiperspirants became more prominent, leading people to question the role of aluminum in breast cancer. Now, of course, we know that correlation does not equal causation, but that's where the idea started. So let's look at some of the earlier studies on this. Uh, so there are two epidemiological studies one done in 2002 and 2003 that are often cited when it comes to looking at the uh, the danger of aluminum in antiperspirants. Now, epidemiological studies, just a reminder, these are essentially surveys. So they'll look, they'll survey uh, a certain population of people, and then they'll try to find uh, correlations within that data set. So it's, it's not really the highest level of evidence, um, but it, depending on how you use the data, it can provide some interesting insight. So these were both epidemiological studies. So 2002, they interviewed 1,600 women, 
half who did use antiperspirant and half who only used deodorant. So, uh, you know, deodorant without aluminum in it. Uh, they also asked those women about their underarm shaving habits because it's actually theorized that shaving your armpit increases the aluminum absorption in the armpit. And they noticed no increased risk of breast cancer between the two groups. So there's no, no correlation between breast cancer and the use of antiperspirants. Well, then there's this, uh, this study that came along in 2003 where they interviewed 437 breast cancer survivors about their antiperspirant usage, their deodorant usage, uh, and also their underarm shaving habits. And, and what they did is they looked at this data in combination with the age of diagnosis. So they were trying to see if, if there was any correlation between when they were diagnosed or when they developed breast cancer and how often they used antiperspirants. And they found that those who started using antiperspirants earlier in life developed breast cancer earlier. Or I guess I should say was diagnosed earlier, which I, I don't know, maybe you could assume that they developed it earlier if, if they were diagnosed with it earlier. Um, they also found that those who used antiperspirant over deodorant developed breast cancer earlier. And then those who shaved their underarms and used antiperspirants developed breast cancer earlier. So they admit that this doesn't conclusively link antiperspirants to cancer, but they think that it's enough evidence to justify controlled trials to evaluate the association. So these people were either using antiperspirants or deodorants, and they all got had breast cancer at some point, but they're just saying that the people who used the antiperspirants got um, diagnosed much earlier in life right. and at an earlier age. Yeah, and they have all these different combination of data. Those are the highlights. Basically, if if you were a woman who started antipers using antiperspirants earlier in life, you were diagnosed with breast cancer earlier. And then if you used antiperspirant over deodorant, same thing, you develop or diagnose breast cancer earlier. And then those who shaved and used antiperspirants were diagnosed earlier than those who didn't. Now, the interesting thing about this is like there's no control group with this. They only looked at patients or people with breast cancer. So I, it's interesting. I don't know. Um, I would say it's not not super uh, evidential, but um, that those are the two that are that are often cited. So let's take a step back and, and, and talk about what is the theorized reason that aluminum can cause breast cancer, if any. And, and based on the theories out there, it, they think that it does two things. Number one, they believe that aluminum interferes with the function of estrogen receptors, which as most women probably know, excess estrogen may increase the risk of breast cancer. And then number two, they think that it may also cause some uh, DNA double strand breaks in mammary cells which is often a precursor to cancer. So those are the theories out there as to why aluminum may cause breast cancer. Um, and then that aluminum is put is applied close to the breast. Um, but that's all, all there is really at this point is, is theories. And you know, there's, there's still debate on whether or not aluminum can even be absorbed in the skin in significant quantities. Now there was this interesting case I found where there was a woman with hyperaluminemia which means you have excess aluminum in your body. And, and they monitored her for several years. She was having significant bone pain, which is a symptom of aluminum overload. They found after the fact that she had been using an antiperspirant for four years after shaving her armpits. And uh, she just she decided to stop using her antiperspirant. 
After one to three months of stopping the antiperspirant, her aluminum levels had decreased significantly. And then after eight months, the aluminum overload disappeared completely. Hmm. But, you know, this is a single case. You know, there are there are exceptions to everything. This is one person, one case. Um, t- to my knowledge, I w- there w- hasn't been a controlled trial like this. Um, but this is about as close as we have. Yeah, I find it interesting to like, to even know like whether or not stuff can be absorbed through our skin. Like, I don't know how that's not been proven yet like i know we we kind of dived into this with magnesium and how like epsom salt baths evidence doesn't really show that they help because the magnesium can't get through your skin same thing with like topical cbds and topical magnesium it are right most studies show that it can't break through the skin and be absorbed into the bloodstream in that way so yeah i I don't know i think it's so chemical dependent that you you would have to try almost everything yeah you'd almost have to do a, a separate study to determine if it can be absorbed through the skin right which they did and in 2012 they did a study on skin samples pre and post shaving now this is in vitro so these are human skin samples not on a human so basically i know it's basically skin skin in a petri dish and they found that recently shaved skin absorbed significantly more aluminum than unshaved skin. So shaving in, did increase the aluminum absorption. But again, now that's not on a human. That's in vitro. Not to say that to disregard it completely, but I'd be interested to see this in a human. Like, it would be cool to see, okay, what are your aluminum levels now? And then you separate these women into different categories, shaving, not non-shaving. Now, what are your aluminum contents after two months of using antiperspirant yeah i feel like it'd be like a pretty easy thing to test yeah okay but finally i'll do, I'll do one more and this is the most recent one i could find it was a 2017 s- study that showed an increased risk of breast cancer with frequent use of aluminum-based underarm cosmetic products so this was 460 participants 210 were breast cancer patients 250 were healthy controls And they found significantly more aluminum in breast tissue for those women that reported higher usage of antiperspirant. So those women who who used antiperspirant more had higher aluminum in the breast tissue. Now, this is self-reported. And those who started using antiperspirant younger were more likely to develop breast cancer. So this is similar to that 2003 study. And how they kind of explain away the conflicting information, like from that first 2002 study that I mentioned, is that They say these studies differ considerably regarding the amount of aluminum found in breast tissue, likely because of discrepancies in measuring techniques. I've seen that in some other studies, too. I think the way they measure, um, you know, content of any kind of chemical or substance in the blood can differ by the study, which, you know, I don't know enough to to know the aluminum measuring techniques, but it was an interesting comment that they made. And then they conclude by saying that, you know, we recommend particularly women at younger ages should be careful using underarm care products and avoid its excessive use. So I think that one is probably the best study regarding antiperspirants and breast cancer to date, given the sample size, data gathered, recency of study. But again, it's still not 100% conclusive. So briefly want to want to just show you what the American Cancer Society has to say about it. 
This is a quote from their their website. They actually have a whole page dedicated to this because I'm assuming they get a lot of questions on this. It says that it doesn't seem that breast cancer tissue contains more aluminum than normal breast tissue. A study that looked at women with breast cancer found no real difference in the concentration of aluminum between the cancer and the surrounding normal tissue. That's referencing a 2012 study, I believe. But that contradicts the 2017 study that I just mentioned. I don't know when this page was written. I mean, I'm assuming they could update it, but they basically disregard that 2017 study, which I find interesting because they they bring up that 2003 study and basically refute it by saying they didn't have a control group. So I don't know. Uh, It's it's frustrating. The evidence is mixed here. I think there's definitely some evidence showing the risk of aluminum and breast cancer, but it's not concrete. And I know that's an unsatisfying answer, but that's that's really where the evidence stands right now. It's it's conflicting. And I think with things like this, we just need to remember that scientific evidence exists on a spectrum. It's not always unequivocally yes or unequivocally no. It's less often that that's the case. So I think all we can do is look at where the evidence exists on that spectrum and make our own decisions about how comfortable we are using these products in light of where the evidence exists on that spectrum. Yeah. And it changes over time. Like with, I mean, just like with their testing techniques, there was, there was differences in just a few years in how much aluminum showed up. So like the way scientific testing is done now is way different than it was done 10 years ago. And it's way different than it's going to be done in 10 years from now. So things change. Like right now, there doesn't seem to be significant concern um, that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't use it though. Cause who knows, like 10 years from now, they might find like very convincing evidence that strongly links it. We just, we don't know. So yeah, it's hard to, it's really hard with science to have a, a straight yes or no answer, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that's why you always have to be like open to, to new evidence that comes out like right now. Okay. There's no clear, yeah. there's no clear link, but a study could come out tomorrow that, that changes that. And you just have to be always open to, okay, what, what does the, the recent new evidence say? And, and then I think you have to ask yourself, does the current evidence and potential harm justify the inconvenience or, or does not doing it bring more harm than doing it? And I think that's a decision that we all need to make for ourselves. All right. So that's the big one. Uh, I think that's probably the most common claim when it comes to aluminum you may have also seen, if you've done any reading on aluminum, the risk of Alzheimer's disease. This is another common claim around around antiperspirants. I wasn't able to find any studies specifically looking at antiperspirants and Alzheimer's, but there has been some research on aluminum and Alzheimer's, but it's controversial as well. I guess I can back up. There are many ways that you can absorb aluminum besides antiperspirants. There are sometimes trace amounts in our food from the uh, production and packaging um, environments where you may be breathing in aluminum dust if you're working in a manufacturing facility. Um, So there are different ways that we can absorb aluminum. Well, one review in 2011 looked at the research around aluminum and Alzheimer's, and they think that the aluminum is downplayed in its relation to Alzheimer's and that our exposure should be limited to prevent the disease. They said the research reveals that basically it doesn't take a whole lot of aluminum to produce neurotoxicity. And even the the small amounts that we would get from our foods, like I said, uh, it may be from the production or packaging of food, or some have argued even cooking in aluminum pans or using aluminum foil, you might get trace amounts of aluminum in your food. 
they didn't mention antiperspirants at all, but they make the case that even small amounts of aluminum um, can be can be toxic to the brain and that it easily crosses the blood brain barrier, meaning it can enter the brain pretty easily. And that and that this amount actually builds up over time, it can, it can accumulate over a number of years. And so they conclude by, by saying immediate steps should be taken to lessen the human exposure to aluminum, which may bring the single most aggravating and avoidable factor related to Alzheimer's, which is the brain issue. So uh, so there's debate on this on whether or not, you know, that that aluminum contributes to the development or the severity of Alzheimer's disease. But again, no concrete evidence at this point. So that covers aluminum. I think aluminum is kind of like the big one. Almost every uh, deodorant that you see, like semi-healthy or semi-clean um, deodorant that you see, like the number one thing that like, they print on the front of it is like aluminum-free. The other right. common one I see is, is parabens. It's probably the second most like common um, thing that you use. kind of like a marketing thing to to show that it's a clean product. It's aluminum-free, number one, and like number two, it's paraben-free. So what i don't even know what parabens are to be honest so what did you find on that like what what are parabens and yeah 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 they're they're basically preservatives for soaps lotions uh, you know skincare products uh, to increase the shelf life of these things like it, it my understanding is that it prevents the the buildup of mold and bacteria so that they can last longer now you're not just going to see paraben on the back of a bottle it's typically the most common name is propyl paraben. Uh, the the other names you might see are butyl paraben, ethyl paraben, methyl paraben. Those are some of the most common ones. And now, unlike aluminum, this is actually pretty clear that it can be absorbed through the skin. There have been in vitro and human trials showing that paraben applied to the skin does increase uh, paraben in the urine. So I guess the question is, is that a bad thing? Well, this has also been potentially linked to breast cancer. And so there's a review study in 2014 that looked at the association between parabens and breast cancer. And through this, they discovered, uh, number one, that parabens have been measured as present in 99% of human breast tissue samples and may influence estrogen activity. Um, and, and potentially stimulate proliferation of human breast cancer cells. Uh, they say that the long-term exposure, th this is what they concluded from their research. This was a review study, so they were looking at multiple studies. That long-term exposure, which they define as greater than 20 weeks to parabens, can lead to increased activity in human breast cancer cells. The parabens can cause DNA damage at high concentrations in the short term, um, but more work is needed to, to investigate that. Basically, they say that the application of parabens points towards um, the development of, of certain hallmarks of cancer, like I just mentioned. So increased breast cancer cells may interact with estrogen activity. And like with most of these studies, they say more work is needed, but it, it doesn't look great for parabens. And then there was a, another study from 2019 that looked at 711 women with breast cancer and 598 women without breast cancer. And they did find that those with breast cancer had higher concentrations of parabens in the urine. Again, correlation is not always equal causation, but uh, there seems to be less conflicting evidence here than aluminum, surprisingly. Uh, even the American Cancer Society says that it's a possible concern, although they do say it's not a strong concern. 
and no clear evidence exists, so they don't really take a stand on stance on it. But they they did at least admit that that it is a possible concern where they didn't even say that with aluminum. So uh, that's something to keep an eye out for. And then I won't go into detail on this one, but there is some limited evidence to support that parabens could reduce fertility in both men and women. The human trials I found were in women, although there were a few animal studies that showed a decrease in sperm count in the presence of parabens in male rats. Uh, a, few, a few studies, they aggregated, they aggregated data from fertility clinics and found an association between high parabens in the urine and low fertility. And, and the theory here, again, as I mentioned earlier, is due to the disruption of estrogen hormone function in women. So I, I would say with this, the evidence here is still early and relatively limited, but probably something to keep an eye on. The, the early data is is interesting, and I would say it's a red flag. Yeah, and like you said earlier, that parabens is found in a lot more things than aluminum is found in. Like aluminum basically has like one purpose in a product as an antiperspirant, whereas parabens as a preservative, it's found in all types of body washes, um, hair conditioner. I think it's found in those two, but I know it's definitely in body washes because the body wash I have says no parabens. So it's in more than just your deodorant. So that's something to watch out for. Like all of your body care products can contain parabens, right? You may be applying it, you know, in the morning, you know, when you, if you wash your face or if you shower in the morning, um, your hair, uh, you know, wash your hands throughout the day, lotions. I mean, it could be in a lot of stuff. So you may be exposed to it a lot versus just deodorant, or maybe you put it on once a day, parabens, you could be exposed to it multiple times throughout the day. The next couple ingredients I'll go through quicker because these are less seen in deodorants. So triclosan is another ingredient you, you'll likely find in soap, um, maybe in deodorant as well. It's an antimicrobial agent and it's, it's used to supposedly clean more effectively. But some evidence has shown that it's actually not more effective than just regular soap and water. And there is some evidence showing that the continued use of soaps with triclosan may increase resistance to antimicrobial drugs. So what this means and what people are inferring from some of these studies around triclosan is that due to the antimicrobial agent, continued exposure to this may reduce your the effectiveness of certain medications. There's also some early evidence that triclosan may play a role in cancer risk, which the FDA is actually currently investigating. So we'll see more results with that down the road. Um, there's claimed benefit, not benefits, there are claimed harm around uh, the reproductive system. So all of this is still early, and I don't want to go into a ton of detail here. Like we said, we'll probably do a separate episode on soaps and skincare, but just wanted to touch on that one briefly since you may see it in deodorants. And then another one that is probably primarily in soap, but again, one that might pop up in a deodorant is propylene glycol. If you Google this, you'll probably hear about how this ingredient is also in antifreeze, which, you know, everyone says, don't use propylene glycol, it's an antifreeze. Well, I feel like that's kind of a, a dumb argument. I mean, there's water in drain cleaners, so does that mean you should stop <laughs> drinking water? I mean, you could say that with anything. There are forms of this that are approved for food and skincare and other products, so it's not all the same. Based on early studies, it seems like it's only mildly absorbed through the skin, but the thing is with this is that some people can be really irritated by this, especially people with eczema, which is a skin autoimmune condition. 
doesn't seem to be cancerous or hormone disrupting from what I could find, but some people may be sensitive to it, could cause some irritation for people. So if, if you think something is irritating your skin, maybe try cutting out propylene glycol or products using propylene glycol and see if that helps. All right, and then the last one here is artificial fragrances. So the best thing I can compare this to in nutrition is natural flavors. This is basically the, the natural flavors of the skincare world. There are very loose regulations around the use of fragrance. So basically, they can pretty much add anything to fragrance, and they don't have to disclose it because it's under a different regulation. There could actually be more ingredients under the term fragrances than all the ingredients listed on the label. Very limited disclosures required. So like with natural flavors, there may be no harm, but it's probably best to avoid if you really don't know what's in it. It's like the, the mystery flavor of skin health. Like just don't put unknown substances on, on one of the most absorbent organs of the body. Yeah, and it's, it's very hard with deodorants, antiperspirants and body care products. Cause the ingredients, like you think ingredients are hard to read, like on food labels, like try picking up your soap and reading it. Oh yeah. Like it is, you can't even decipher it. Like people who even like, like you and I, who know nutrition labels fairly well. Like if I look at my deodorant, it's like you have to, you have, yeah, you have no idea what work, you're looking at. Yeah. You have to almost work in the industry to be able to interpret this stuff and know actually what it means. So it can be very tricky with body care stuff. Um, so the best thing to do is kind of watch out for like these big things, like with, with antiperspirants and deodorants, watch out for these big five. If they're clear of these, then it's, it's probably uh, a cleaner product than others. Yeah. So what other, like for, for deodorants that don't have some of this, they obviously have to, to do something to help with the smell. So have you looked into any of like the natural ingredients that you might find in deodorants? Yeah, so I, I use a natural deodorant, so not, not an antiperspirant, just an, a deodorant. And with the natural deodorants, there's there's kind of like four main, I guess, groups of ingredients that you'll find in them. And this kind of makes it easier to read the label if, if you know what to look for, if you know what types of products that should be in this, this helps you find like what's a good product. So typically there's going to be some type of natural oil, and this is just used for like to... to this is used to form the base of the deodorant. Sometimes deodorant's a stick. Other times it's like a like a, a lotion that you apply by hand. But it has to have some type of oil base. Um, coconut oil is, is fairly common. The one I have here is, is coconut oil. The one I use it has a coconut oil base. That's the first ingredient. So number one, it's going to have a natural oil. The second ingredient you'll you'll find in a natural deodorant is a powder or a starch. And the purpose of this is to absorb the sweat and neutralize odor by killing the bacteria. So because deodorants don't stop you from sweating, there's a powder or a starch in it to help absorb some of that sweat and also to kill off the bacteria. So common starches you'll find baking soda, arrowroot, uh, tapioca. Those are three common clean um, powders or starches that you'll find in your deodorant. Nat in uh, natural, we're talking about natural deodorants now. Natural deodorants, yeah. Uh, so then the third thing is going to be for scent essential oils. 
It just helps it helps it actually smell good rather than just being unscented. Um, tea tree oil, for example, is, is fairly common for this purpose, but you'll see some type of hopefully naturally derived oil. And then lastly, is going to be some type of wax. And this is really just for, for texture, for stabilizing the ingredients to kind of hold everything together and make it easily applicable to your skin. And common ones are candelia wax and beeswax. So just for a heads up, when you're looking at natural deodorants, these are kind of the four common ingredient groups you'll find. And it makes it, if you know what these are, it makes it much easier to know like, oh, there's coconut oil in here. Like, you know what that's for. Or if there's baking soda, you know what that's for. And you can fairly tell if it's um, if it's a clean or a harmful ingredient. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all different kinds. We'll go through some brands uh, in a little bit here, but some other things you might see is like activated charcoal, where that's primarily what the deodorant is. Um, ba- I don't. Did you mention baking soda? Yeah, baking yeah, soda. Yeah, baking soda is, is in a lot of these. Um, yeah, you mentioned essential oils, and then crystal deodorant. Have you heard of this? Uh, I don't think so. No, it's basically just a block of mineral salt. <laughs> some people say that works katie tried it she said it did not work for her how does it even like how do you even put it I, on i don't know it, it, it's just a block of salt like if you touch it it's not oh, like oily it's painful yeah I, I i can't imagine i feel like it would rip my armpit hairs out but yeah that's out there so uh what about your your experience with deodorant how did you kind of move from antiperspirants to uh to a more natural and how'd you find that natural deodorant um, so I, I always use for the, as long as I can remember, um, I don't know, before college, I always used degree men 48 hours. Well, I mean, we used Axe, dude. We went through an Axe period. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, every high school boy is used Axe, I'm sure. So I, that, that's what probably what I first started out with ever was like as Axe. Um, but then I, I upgraded to degree men 48 hours, which worked very well. I mean, I, I never really smell that bad when I sweat. Um, I don't have bad BO. Um, right. and I've never, I don't know. I, I've, I've always kind of just found one deodorant and that, that worked for me. I never really had to change it around that much. So degree 48 hour men worked very well. I really never sweat when I wore it. I never smelled when I wore it. So I just kept using it. Um, and it was, it, it was very effective because, because the ingredient in degree is aluminum zirconium. So it's an antiperspirant. It was blocking my sweat pores and it worked. So then about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I kind of decided to to dabble into to natural deodorants. My sister-in-law works um, is a makeup artist in Chicago and she works at a clean beauty store. So every product that they sell is completely clean of, I mean, they have like, it's called Credo Beauty. They have like crazy standards on, on what can and cannot be in their product. So she gave stuff to my wife and then Mariah kind of got me onto it to trying natural deodorants. And at first I didn't like it. Um, it was, it's a kind of a, a, there's a transition period that you have to be kind of aware of. So I would, I would sweat a ton when, when I switched over to this. And I was also itchy under my arms and kind of had rashes. Um, and it just didn't work. Like I, I kind of smelled bad and I was sweating a lot. So 
I tried the Schmitz. That's what I started with. I think I did that for like probably a few months. Um, like I said, I didn't really care for it too much, but it's not because it was a bad product necessarily. It was because I was not giving it, giving myself time to adjust. Switched back to degree, and then I'm like, okay, I'll give this another try because I knew I needed to just get through the adjustment period. So now I'm using one called Method Men. To be honest, I haven't looked at every single ingredient in this, so I don't know if it's completely clean of everything. Um, it's it is clear of of what we talked about. I do think it has a few artificial fragrances in it, okay. so I still could upgrade my deodorant game a little bit more. But it it is free of those four ingredients. I've adjusted to it at this point, and I no longer like sweat profusely nor smell. Um, so yeah, it, it works well. I would say I the reason I wanted to switch in the in in the first place was it's it's natural to sweat. Like it's when you put antiperspirant on, it is physically like closing up your pores. It's a drug. Like the FDA FDA calls it a drug because it is doing something in your body that your body is not supposed to do. Right. Like we're supposed to sweat. It's natural for us. That's kind of why I switched. And now that I've adjusted to it, it's something I'll definitely be sticking with. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say I went through a similar experience. I used Axe in high school. <laughs> I remember this one time, you know, we used to use the Axe body spray. <laughs> well, we ran out, but I had to go somewhere and I like had just mowed the yard and all I had was the deodorant, so I rubbed deodorant all over my body. <laughs> are, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, like all over my oh, neck. So I mean, pretty much everywhere. That is disgusting. I know, I know. So that, oh. was, that was high school, Andy. Um, what, was, what was your favorite Axe scent? God, Do you remember any of them? I can't remember. I can't remember. I, I, I know the, the, the scents would all come back to me if I started reading them. Yeah, I want to look it up. Um, they they're they're always coming out with, with new scents and for some yeah. reason like they always kind of <laughs> smelled the same or like a derivative <laughs> of the same thing yeah remember apollo was one oh, yeah. musk apollo was a good one a new one is dark temptations <laughs> dude do you remember the chocolate they had a chocolate one. Oh yeah the chocolate one that was so gross yeah it was <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they have all kinds of scents now but i that's that's garbage i would not use that yeah so i similar to you i've never really had bo issues so deodorant wasn't always a big priority honestly until it's gonna gross people out but probably until i graduated college i didn't really use it consistently now when i was in college i was always di i was always in the pool i was a springboard diver so i mean i was always smelling like chlorine pretty much mm-hmm but I've never really had BO issues. It must be a genetics thing because I don't think dad really ever did. Um, and this isn't just coming from us. Like my my wife has always said, like you just you don't smell <laughs> even when you sweat. Yeah. <laughs> now now if I if I go out and I like do a, a tough workout and I really sweat, of course I smell. But anyway, it was never like a huge issue. But regardless, when I started working like in a professional environment, I didn't, I didn't want to risk it, so I started using like the Dove men's deodorant. Mm, yeah. I used that for a few years. I used antiperspirant for a little bit, but then I think I switched it to just deodorant when I heard about the risks of aluminum. And then my wife introduced me to Schmitz because uh, that didn't work for her. And that's worked great for me. I, you know, I only apply that once per day. Seems to do the job. 
Um, it doesn't burn my skin or anything, and yeah, it smells good. I think I used the bergamot. Okay, I used bergamot. The ch- I think they have a charcoal flavor one. Yeah, or a scent, or I, I might actually have the activated charcoal in it. I don't know if it does, but yeah, the the bergamot lime is the one I use, and it's got like arrowroot powder. The base is baking soda. It's got coconut oil, shea butter, um, candelilla, candelilla at wax, mm-hmm. um, bergamot essential oils. Uh, yeah, so that one's worked great for me. Uh, I don't really remember much of an adjustment period. Now, my wife has not had such great luck finding a natural deodorant. She has gone through so many different types of, of deodorants. Let's see, I think I listed out here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, eight. So she's tried eight different types. And she, I mean, you know, she goes through the adjustment period. She'll try it for a few months. And she found that either like they would work for a few months and then they would stop working or it just, that it wouldn't stay on. It would only last for a few hours in the day or it would burn her skin. She struggled with that. Like several just burned her skin. So she tried Schmidt's, Tom's, Native, Dove 0% Aluminum, Loom, Routine. Uh, there's an essential oils one. And then uh, the crystal deodorant that I mentioned, <laughs> which is just mineral salts. So she tried all, these are all natural deodorants. None, none of those like worked for her permanently some weren't effective at blocking scent some irritated her skin but she finally just found like as of a few weeks ago this activated charcoal deodorant that she said works great it doesn't burn it lasts all day it blocks the scent so it can take a where's while. that from you know oh, man it's i can't remember the name now i meant to write it down before this episode i don't i don't remember i'll put it in the show notes but yeah, so it can take it can take a while to find one that works for you, especially if you have sensitive skin. Baking soda, some people just are irritated by baking soda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's skin's different, so some one person could to get itchy, one person could, could get rashes, whereas another person has zero issues whatsoever. So I guess we can go just in, like into the recommendations here. Um, so when you are trying different. Natural deodorants, just give yourself time to go through that adjustment period. Uh, some common things you're going to experience. One is if you have, if you're coming off an antiperspirant, just be prepared to sweat more. Like your sweat pores have been closed off for who knows how many years. So when you stop using antiperspirant, you're going to sweat what seems like excessively for, I don't know. For me, it was like probably a month where I felt like I was like sweating more than normal. And then it kind of eased off. So give your time with that. Like you're going to sweat more, but this is just your body getting used to being able to sweat again. Like I said before, itching and rashes is common. Um, Sometimes you'll get over it. Like when I switched to this one that I'm using now, I was itchy for about like a week and a half. And it wasn't like excessive, but it was just kind of uncomfortable. But that went away. So your body adjusts. Your body adjusts. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed, I don't know if you found this to be true too, is that with natural deodorants, the oil, cause they're made with oils, like coconut oil, it kind of stains your clothes in like, like yeah. oil stains your clothes, not like yellow, like there's, you know, your classic yellow pit stains, but then there's like oil, oil stains. Yeah. So especially when I wear a light gray shirt, um, I would notice like it looked like oil, like, um, or I mean, it's, it looked like I was sweating, but it was, I wasn't sweating. It was just literally the oil from my deodorant. Did you have that thing, that same issue? Yeah, I, I still do. Yeah. My undershirts yeah. are just have these oily. Yeah. It's, yeah. I guess it's, I guess it's kind of the price you pay. I haven't really found a way around that. 
I've, I found a couple things that help minimize it, not completely eliminate it, but um, one is just to make sure your arms are like fully dry before putting it on. And then when you do put it on, just kind of wait a little bit before you put a shirt back on. And also I, I've realized that you don't need to put that much on. Right. Like I literally just do like one swipe and that's it. Right. So the more you put on, the more oil that's going to be there and it's just going to get absorbed by your shirt. So make sure your arms dry, put like one swipe on and that's helped decrease like the oil stains. Yeah. And then I guess just increasing the frequency of washing your clothes. Yeah. Yeah. It does. I, at least in my experience, it, it comes out in the wash. It doesn't permanently stain them. All right. So I looked up, I, I texted Katie, the brand of her activated charcoal deodorant is called little seed farm. Hmm. Little seed. Is farm. it for online? You have to buy it online. I'm assuming. I think so. She didn't get it in the store. She actually got it as a gift from somebody and, uh, or somebody that didn't work for, for her. So yeah, but you should be able to get that online. Um, so yeah, I think, I think like Aaron said, some skins may just react differently. I think you just need to experiment yourself and it may take time. I, I had just listed a bunch of brands, but like Schmitz, Tom's and native dove has a 0% aluminum, but I believe that one has fragrances in it. Loom routine, some activated charcoal. Like I said, the brand there's little seed farm. There's some just essential oils that, I mean, you can actually, some people just put essential oils under their armpit. I, but you need to find one that actually can be applied to skin if you just put straight essential oils on your skin it can actually burn your skin so and then if you want to take the plunge into crystal deodorant i <laughs> have not heard anybody have luck with that but you can give it a try i think the the takeaway here is really just know what you're putting on your skin the apply the same applies for makeup lotion sunscreen soap shampoo read the ingredients label it's like a food label um the skin is very absorbent and i mean it's it's like it's like nutrition in that what what we put on our skin gets absorbed, or at least some of it does. So um, we'll probably, we'd like to have somebody on actually who, who kind of knows this stuff to to talk more about like makeup and, and skincare. But I think that's kind of the takeaway. Know what you're putting on your skin and, and be patient. Like Karen said, it may take time to adjust. I think it took my wife probably at least over a year, probably one to two years to find the right one for her. So um, but it can, I mean, if these claims end up being true, it can, it can be worth it. All right. I hope you guys found this informative. Um, again, check out our sleep recovery workshop link in our bio for that at the Indie Fitness Festival in what, six days from now when you're listening to this, right. so th this coming Saturday, 11 AM or 1130 AM downtown Indy. So thanks for listening guys.